You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Stonegate, how are we doing this morning? It's great to see you today. So glad you're here. And if you are new with us today, my name is Rodney, and I'm one of the pastors here at Stonegate. And it is such a joy and delight to be able to worship Jesus with you this morning, and we pray that the living God would speak to you in ways that would be so helpful uh, to your soul this morning. And there's one thing that we would love to have you do for us. If you'll make sure you grab one of those Connect cards that should be in the seat back in front of you, at some point during the service, you can fill that card out, and you can do one of two things with that. You can drop that in the offering basket if you'd like to do that at the end of the service, or even better, you can take that out to the Connect uh, desk, which is just on the other side of that wall right there, uh, out in the foyer. You can take it out there, and they will exchange that card filled out for a gift for you. Um, so we would love to be able to personally meet you in that way. So if you want to meet those guys out there with that card afterwards, that would just be so helpful. And secondly, if there's any way we can pray for you, uh, there's also a prayer request card in the back of that uh, seat there. Um, it's a green card. You can fill that out, put that in the offering basket that would put you on our prayer list. And we would just find it to be such a joy to be able to pray for you. So if you want to do that, that would be um, so, so helpful for us to be able to minister to you this morning. And just one other quick note um, before we uh, jump into uh, where we're going this morning. Um, this week, we are starting a Bible study methods class. And if you were here just a few weeks ago, we talked about 2019, um, and in particular, the Bible and your life uh, this year. And one of the things that we're hoping for our church family is that there would just be a continued growth across our church family in the ability to open up the Bible and to study it for yourself, not to depend on that person's podcast or this person's preaching, but you can be a first-hander, not a second-hander, right? That we can go to God through the scriptures, and we can learn of God. We can know God there. And so we want to do everything we can to help you do that. And so this week, we have another Bible study methods class that is starting. And if you want to jump into that, we would love to have you. Um, you can go to stonegate.church. Um, you can go to upcoming events and register there for uh, the next Bible study methods class that starts this week. So I just want to encourage you toward that. Okay. Um, tomorrow is the third Monday in January. And the third Monday in January is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and that is a day that we have set aside. Uh, President Reagan did this. We set that day aside to be able to, in some ways, um, celebrate the strides that we have taken as a country to make every human being, regardless of their ethnicity, uh, to, to, to make it a more equitable place and a more equitable country and a culture to live in. So it's a place where we get to celebrate the strides that have been taken, and it's a place for us to lament how much further there is to go. Both of those two things should be happening on a, on a day like tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a place for us to, to double down on our efforts to say, we want this to be a fair, equitable country that we live in. Um, so, so that's tomorrow. Today, on the other hand, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, it's typically every January on the Sunday that is closest to January 22nd, which is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And it's a day where we get to hold up the value of human life as we lament the horrors of abortion. It's a day for that. And, and these issues are near to the heart of God. Both of those two issues are near to the heart of God. And, and because they're near to the heart of God, um, they are also very near to the heart of our church. And so we set aside the two Sundays, the middle Sundays in January, uh, th those two Sundays to deal with these two issues, the gospel and race. That was last week. Trip Lee came in and did such a good job in that. I was just so uh, encouraged by that. I'm just so, so, so thankful for, for what he had to say last week and how the Lord used him last week. And this week, we're going to address the gospel and life the gospel and life. Now, before I jump in and say really anything else about um, this issue and kind of where we're going today, I, I just want to acknowledge that anytime we are talking about the sanctity of life, here's the value of life, here is the horror of abortion. Anytime we address abortion, um, I know that that is an occasion that is going to stir up really deep pain in the heart of many people. And my, my uh, experience, as I've just walked beside people who have struggled through abortion, and in particular, the back end of abortion, um, both the men and the women who are trying to walk on the other side of that, uh, my, my uh, experience tells me that most people's opening strategy to deal with the pain and heartbreak that abortion brings about, um, the opening strategy is to bury it as deeply as they can. That, that's the opening strategy. Uh, but here's the problem with that strategy. 
buried pain continually breaks out of the grave. It just doesn't stay buried. It just has a way of, it just keeps coming up and representing itself over and over and over again in our life. Um, several years ago, there was a, just a dear couple in our church. I just, I love them so much. Our, we go back a long, long way, all the way back into their teenage years. Um, so I've known them for a really long time and, and they wanted to, to get together and chat for a few minutes. And when we did, they, they basically just recounted their story together. They started dating in high school and they kind of unfolded that. Um, they unfolded uh, all the indiscretions and the sin that was baked into that relationship in high school. Um, they talked about her getting pregnant then and, and then them collectively together deciding we are going to kill the baby. That was their words for it. We're, we're going to kill the baby. And she recounted just the nightmare of, of going by herself to have that procedure done. Um, he talked about just lamenting the fact that he encouraged her to do that. And then he let her do that by herself. And, and how to this day, this is year, decades later now, that that is still just gnawing at their soul. And so we just had this moment together where they brought that into the light, like into the light of Jesus. They, they, they took that sort of deep, dark place in their past. They brought that out into the light. They confessed their sin before God and just with this little crew we had around the table. Just this really beautiful moment, just through tears, us just thanking God for his grace. And I remember when we finished praying and just me just listening to them confess their heart to the Lord and this particular part of their life to the Lord. Um, when we said amen, we, we looked up and I, and I remember looking at them and saying, man, I think it's so, it's so important that you hear from the heart of God right now in this moment. And I think this is what God would want to tell you after this moment that just happened. What abortion? What, what abortion? I think God would want to remind you that he really does forgive sin like his grace really does minister to the deepest, darkest parts of our soul. And in that moment, we just had another good cry and we just celebrated the grace of God yet again, that, that God really does bring beauty from ashes. We just had that moment together. And I wanna lead off with that and just reminding all of us in the room that there is grace for the deepest, darkest parts of our soul. The deepest, darkest parts of our life. There's, there's grace for that. And I want to start with that because statistics would say that one out of four ladies, by the time they hit 45, will have had an abortion. One out of four. So the, the pain caused by abortion is not just an out there theoretical abstract thing that's like somebody out there is dealing with. No, it's like an in here thing in this room. And, and if that's you today, I want you to know that we have a God who can, who can confront us in our sin. He can do that, but, but he also doesn't condemn us in that. Like he also offers grace and forgiveness to the deepest, darkest parts of our soul. And I just want you to know, I want you to experience that. We as a church want you to walk in that, not in the shame of what we have done, but in the freedom and grace of what Jesus offers us. So in light of that, I just want to give you three things that we have provided and trying to make available for any lady or man in the room that this might apply to this morning. First of all, we have some people on our prayer team, some ladies that, that are in our prayer room. It's just right on the other side of our office area, kind of down there on the kids' men's side of our building. And they're going to be available all morning long. So if you want to go like right now during the service, you feel free to do that. If you want to go as we stand up and, and respond to God through singing, you can do that. If you want to go between services, you can do that. They're just going to be hanging in the prayer room available for anybody who would need them this morning. Um, while we sing and respond to God this morning, during that part of our service, we're going to have people at our prayer table that are just going to be there ready to minister to you if you need it. And then lastly, under your chair, I just want to go ahead and point this card out that should be underneath your seat. It looks like this. It's just a white card. Um, grab that card real quick. I just want you to grab that and you can just kind of keep that in your Bible. I'm going to refer to it again a little bit later on. But I want to, to point out that one of the things First Look does, it's a crisis pregnancy center. One of the things that they do is uh, post-abortive healing. You can see that's one of the boxes down there. And I just want you to know, if you want to be super anonymous in all that here today, and you want to go this route with it, you can fill that out. Um, you can either give that to the people at the First Look booth right here in the lobby, or you can mail that to them, that post-abortive healing group. And I think that could be a really good way for you to drag out what is really hard to talk about into the light to allow the grace of Jesus to heal that. So with that said, can I pray for us? Then we're going to jump in. Father, we love you. 
And Father, we are grateful that we have a God in you that convicts us of sin and yet doesn't condemn us in it. God, we have a God in you who knows the deepest, darkest parts of our soul and who wants us to walk in the light before him, allowing your grace to come into our soul, into our life, into the darkest places of it and to bring light there. So God, make us a people who are open to you in that way. God, God, make us a people willing to go there with you. And Father, I pray for this morning. God, would you, would you take the good news of Jesus, your gospel, and would you personally apply it in the particular ways that we need today? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Okay, here, here's the question I want to start with this morning. What is God like? Have you ever just asked that question? What is God like? What, what, what is the nature of God? What does God care about? What, what is God like? Um, A.W. Tozer, he was a, a pastor of a generation ago. He, uh, he wrote this statement, and it's always just stuck with me. He, he used to say that the most important thought you'll ever think is the one immediately following the word God. It shapes everything about your life. I, the question, what is God like, is a massively important question for every person in the room. It shapes everything about you. It's the most important thought you will ever think, that one immediately following the word God. What is God like? Now, it's important to know that the question is not, what do we want God to be like, right? Because as human beings, we have like an innate tendency to take who God is and to remake him into what we want him to be. And God refuses to do that. So the question is not, what would we want God to be like? The question is, what is God like? And the only way to answer that question accurately, to keep like our own like natural tendencies of recreating God in our own image at bay, the only way to do that is to open up the Bible, to read the Bible, and to ask yourself the question as you're reading, who does God let me know that he is? Because I, I don't want to worship a false God. Like I want to worship the God that is, right? So the only way to do that is to read the Bible asking that question, who, who is God? What does he say about himself? How does he reveal himself to us? And I want to go to the Psalms really briefly, and I want to read through just a few passages and, and just allow us to ask the question, well, in light of this, who, who is God? What is God like? Here's the first one, Psalm 9, 9. It'll be on the screen for you. The psalmist says this, the Lord is a stronghold or a refuge. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 35, verse 10. In light of this being who God is, a refuge for the oppressed, here's what God does. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Who is like you, God? In what way, psalmist? Who is like you in this way? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The, the poor and needy from him who robs him. This is what God does. This is what makes God unique. He is a God who delivers the poor from those who are too strong for them. Psalm 109, verse 30 and 31. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Have you ever just asked yourself the question, I wonder where I can find God today? I can, if I'm just looking out in the world out there, where can I find God? Here's one of the ways the psalmist answers that. Here's where you can always be looking for God, right next to the needy one right next to the person who's vulnerable, right next to the poor and oppressed. That's where you can find God. Psalm 145, verses six through nine says this about God. Blessed is he who, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners or the refugees. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the, the wicked he brings to ruin. What is God like? Of the many things the Bible tells us about God, the many ways we could answer that question, here is one thing that the Bible shows us that God is like. Here's one thing about God that the Bible presents to us. We serve a God who values the vulnerable. 
God values the vulnerable. Now, what God commands of his people, what God says, my people, I want you to do this. What God commands reflects what God is like. So it's, it's no um, shock when we get to the law in the Old Testament that we read things like this, that this sort of a command from God. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest in your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the, the alien or the refugee or the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, now what is God doing in this moment? God is clarifying you loving vulnerable people you loving the vulnerable is one expression of your love for me. This is what God is, is, is helping us see here. Essentially, God is looking at his people and saying, hey, you that own some fields, you that are doing the agriculture thing and you're making your livelihood this way by, by growing crops and harvesting those crops, I, I want you to leave some money on the ground at the edge of your field so that those without can eat. This is the sort of, this is, this is how I want you to love me, but by reflecting my heart, by caring for people who need help. He's, he's looking at them and he's saying, but part of you, part, part of your love for me, part of how it's going to flesh itself out, it's going to be an expression of it, is you forgoing what could be yours for the sake of the vulnerable and what needs to be theirs. This is part of how you're going to love me. It's going to be an expression of your love of me. It's no surprise that in Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 and 18, we would find God commanding something like this. You shall not pervert the justice due to the alien or the refugee or the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. So, so God's command to his people is reflecting God's heart. God values the vulnerable, and now he is commanding his people to value the vulnerable. He's looking at them and saying, do not oppress the, the refugee, the orphan, the, the widow. Oftentimes in the Bible, that is the triad of the most vulnerable in, in any culture. The, the refugee, the, the orphan, the widow. He's saying rather than oppressing them, no, 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 use your power to protect them, to defend them, to, to help them. That's what it looks like for you to love me is to love them like that. This is what Jesus is saying and he's reminding them. Why do you do that? Here's the reason. You value the vulnerable because I have valued you the vulnerable. That, that, that's why. He, he reminds them all the way of their, back into Exodus and their redemption when, when they were rescued from their vulnerability, when they were an alien in the land, when they were oppressed in the land. He's reminding them of that and, and God flexing and breaking the bonds of their slavery. He's reminding him, them of what he has done for them. And in light of what he has done for them, he's now saying, now, now get, it back to, get, get about this sort of redemptive work of valuing the vulnerable. Get about that thing of breaking bonds like that. Part of how you're going to love me is by loving them. This is the point that we see in the scriptures. Now that takes us to Isaiah 58. I want you to just open that up with me. And this gives us a context through which now we can see Isaiah 58, what, what God is after, what God is doing in Isaiah 58. God, what, what is God like? God values the vulnerable. So, so now it makes sense why it is that we would come to a passage like Isaiah 58 and see what we see here. Now, this is going to come in three parts. Isaiah 58 comes in three parts. The problem God sees, the people God wants, and the reward that God gives. It's those three parts that I want to just work through this passage with. And here's the first one, the problem that God sees. The problem God sees. Now look at verses uh, two and the first half of verse three. Look at that verse and a half there. It's amazing because five great things are listed. Like the people of God are doing some really, really incredibly good things. So here are the five things listed in, in verse two into the first half of verse three that they're doing. Um, they are seeking God daily. They are delighting to know God's way. They are asking God for just decisions. They're saying, God, will you, will you help us make just decisions? Uh, number four, they, they're delighting in the nearness of God. Like they love to be near God. Like not for God to be way up there, but for God to be right here. That They're loving and delighting in the nearness of God. They're fasting and afflicting themselves for God. Like they're going without food as an expression of God. We love you. That this is what's happening in this text. Now think about if, if you're moving to a new city 
and you're trying to find a church and you knew that church was doing those five things. Man, they are seeking God. They are delighting to know God's way. They are delighting in the nearness of God. They are fasting for God. They are asking God for just decisions. I don't know about you, but I'm like, that's a church I'd wanna go to. I'm in on that church if they're doing those things. And, and by the way, all these things are like really good things, right? Seeking God is a good thing. De- delighting to know God, delighting in the nearness of God. Fa- I mean, take fasting as an ex- example. Fasting, it, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's a way for the people of God to express their longing for God. But when we're fasting, we, we are saying to God, our feast is not in food, but it's in you, our good father. That's what fasting is doing. And this is what, this is what these people are doing. But... God sees through what seems so right all the way down to what's actually wrong in these people. He sees a problem in these people. And you see it in verse two. Verse two, right in the middle of it, alerts us to the problem. You see it with these four words, as if they were. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. As if they were. This this passage reminds us that it's not what we appear to be, but what we actually are that matters to God. Now, I'm gonna say that one more time and just by God's grace, may this this just shake a few of us in the room. That This passage is reminding us that it's not what we appear to be in front of other people. It's not how how good we look in front of other people. It's not what we appear to be, but what we actually are that matters to God. And God saw through what appeared to be. He saw through their spiritual veneer all the way down into their spiritual dysfunction. And you see it in the the second half of verse three on into verse five. Look what it says there. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You're fasting and, and fasting is a great thing, but not when it's built on this foundation. Right, you're fasting and you seek your own pleasure and oppress all of your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting, uh, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. I will not hear your prayers when you're fasting like this. It is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under them? Will you, will you call this a fast, God's saying, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is that what you think pleases me as a fast like this? Here was the problem that Jesus is pointing out in the people. The, the problem is their love of God was divorced from their usefulness in the world. The love of God in them was divorced from their usefulness in the world. Uh, You might think of it this way. They had a privatized faith, a a privatized faith. It's a way of viewing the world that says something like this. What really matters is is me and God, and that alone matters. This is the mentality. It's me and God, and nothing else matters. That that is the only thing that matters. It's just me and God. Now take that first statement. The me and God part is, is a true thing. That takes us right to the heart of Christianity. It is God breaking through our hardness of heart, rescuing and redeeming us. It is all about a personal knowing and experiencing of God, right? That is is the essence of Christianity. It is God breaking down into us. So me and God, that is massively important. That is the essence of Christianity. The, The problem is the last piece and that alone matters. It's me and God and nothing else out there matters. This alone is what matters. And God is saying, no, that is not all that matters. That's not all that matters. Your usefulness in the world matters too. God is clarifying this privatized way of relating to God. is actually offensive to God. This way of fasting that is all self-centered, it's all vertical, it's all right here and has no view of what's happening in the world around us. God is saying, that is not a pleasing fast. That is not what I'm after. Uh, Maybe you could think of it this way. The problem with the people of Israel in Isaiah 58 is that they had divorced the first and greatest commandment. That is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They divorced the first and greatest commandment from the second commandment. the, The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. They've forgotten that like when Paul is summarizing the entirety of the law in Galatians, he just says it like this. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole summary of the law. 
They've just forgotten that. It's all a privatized thing. It's all as if what God is after is just vertical and there's no horizontal dimension to what it means to love God. They've divorced the first and greatest commandment from the second, from the second commandment. Now, here's where we just need to take a, a moment. What was tempting to the people of God then is equally tempting to the people of God now. We are equally susceptible to believing this sort of a bad math equation, that me plus God plus that alone matters equals faithfulness to God. That's a bad math equation. Me plus God plus nothing else matters equals faithfulness to God. That, that is not the sort of math that the Bible gives. God is clarifying in this passage. If the way we love God doesn't move us out into the world to love others, to, to make the world a better place, the renewal of the world, to right the wrongs of the world, to make the problems of those who are vulnerable our problems, if, if the way we love God doesn't move us into the world to love others, then the way we love God, or, or the way, the, the, the love of God that we profess in us, like, like this love that we say we have for God is actually sickening the heart of God, sickening the very one that we profess to love. This is what Isaiah is confronting these people with. In a lot of ways, the New Testament um, echoes this sort of heartbeat of God here, right? In, in James uh, chapter one, verse 27, uh, James reminds us, this is God through James reminding us that religion or like how we love God, how we express our love for God. Like, what does it look like to be faithful to God? Right? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That widow, orphan, these are the most vulnerable of any culture. And God is saying, loving your neighbor, especially the most vulnerable, is one way we express our love for God. This is the problem that he sees here. That, that's not happening in his people in Isaiah 58. So, so this is the problem God sees. Now here is the people God wants. Look at verses six and seven. Th these are the sort of people that God wants. D don't we all want to come to God in a way that pleases the heart of God? We all want that, right? As, as God is our good dad. And as his sons and daughters, we, we, wanna, we wanna come to God in a way that brings delight to the heart of God. And God shows us what that looks like, how, how to do that in this passage. Look at verses six and seven. Is not this the fast that I choose? It's not just a, it's not just a vertical thing. It's not just a me and God and nothing else matters. God is saying, is not this the fast that I choose? It's not this the sort of people that I'm creating, that I, that I want. Is it not this? to loose the bonds of, the, of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God is essentially saying, this is bad math. This is not the sort of people I want. Us plus God plus nothing else matters. He's saying no to that. That the people I want is yes, the essence of it is, is me and you. It's us and God. And it's people then who are embracing God's heart for people around them, neighbors around them who are more vulnerable to, to defend their cause. This is what God is after. God is showing us that a love of him leads us out into the world. And when we're out into the world, we don't hide ourselves from the problems of the world. Rather, we keep our eyes open to them. And when we see the problems around us in the world, we do whatever it takes to step into those problems, making those problems our problems. And, and listen, we live in, in, in a, a, a suburb, right? The, the whole philosophy of a suburb is built around how can we get away from problems, hide our lives behind big castle walls so that we don't have to see them or think about them. And God is saying that that is not an okay way to live. I, want, I don't want you to hide yourself from, from your own flesh, from the problems that are around you. No, I want you to, to, to go out into the world with eyes wide open, ready and willing to embrace my heart for the vulnerable around you, making their problem your problem. He's, he's showing us here that the people he wants, the way we come to God, right? Love of God doesn't just show itself in Bible reading, but bond breaking, bread feeding. That, that, that's also how love of God is shown. I love what Jonathan Edwards, he was an old Puritan pastor, how he said it. 
He said it like this, Christian love disposes a person to be public spirited. Not privatized, not me and God and nothing else matters, but public spirited. Like I'm gonna be out there making a difference in the world around me. He, He goes on to say, A man of right spirit is not a man of narrow and private views, but is greatly concerned for the good of the community to which he belongs, and particularly of the city where he resides. The the essence of Christianity is a love of Jesus, right? And and that's expressed with an open-heartedness, right? It's an expression of uh, raising our hands in adoration and love of God. It's, it's yes, all of that. That, that, is, that is the essence of Christianity is this deep love of Jesus that exists in us. But that love of God is an others-oriented love. When we love God, it then bends itself out into the world and we start to look for people who are vulnerable around us, neighbors in need of help, like the, like the Good Samaritan. We, we start to look that way around us and we start to make the problems of others our own problems. That is what a love of God looks like. I love what one pastor commenting on this verse said. He said, Christianity must be deeply internal and personal. Yes, that is the essence of Christianity is God coming into us. It's not an outward thing. The essence is an inward thing. Christianity must be deeply internal and personal. But if it stops there, Christianity is just a spare time hobby. If it stops with, it's just me and God and nothing else matters. It's just a spare time hobby, he says. He goes on to say, the symbol of our faith is a cross. It's the whole message of our faith is love pouring it, itself out for others. Right? And this is the heart of God, isn't it? It is God loving us in a way that is others oriented, that is laying down his life for the good of other people. Now, I want to just take a moment to, to apply this section of, of Isaiah 58. This idea of the people that, that God wants. And but part of what it means to, to, to grow in becoming this sort of a people as a church is for us to look around and begin to ask the question, who are the vulnerable around us? Who, who are those people? Now, you might apply this in hundreds of different ways this morning. When you're looking around and asking the question, where are vulnerable people and how can I make their problems my problems? How can I do that? Vulnerability is everywhere around us. Who are the vulnerable? You could go to refugees. You could go to the homeless. You could go to to those in poverty. You could go to many of those living in urban centers and and the, the... I mean, just plethora of problems that, that are there and the hardships that are there. Um, you could think about single moms. You could think about widows. You could think about kids in foster care. You could think about kids who need to be adopted. That list is so long. And one of the things I wanna invite you to do is like a, a way to apply Isaiah 58 to your own life is just for you to sit down and make a list of who around me is vulnerable. Who is that? If you just to make that list. And then to begin to ask God to clarify what it would look like for you to step into some of these problems around you. But, but the way I want to specifically apply Isaiah 58, and in particular, this idea of valuing the vulnerable like God values the vulnerable, I want to specifically apply it to the most vulnerable in our culture. The, the most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable people in our country are unborn children. The most vulnerable. And, and that, that's a strong word. The is like a, 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 a elevating word. I mean, that, that is, that, that's a strong word. But the most vulnerable people in our country are unborn children. The, the most dangerous place to live in our country is not in a particular city, as dangerous as some are. Not in a particular neighborhood, as dangerous as some neighborhoods are. Not on a particular street, as dangerous as some streets are. The most dangerous place to live in our country is inside the womb. And the the statistics on this, they're, they're so crazy that they barely even make sense. For instance, since Roe versus Wade in 1973, there have been more than 60 million babies aborted in this country. That would equate to the 23rd largest country in the world. I mean, that, that, that is so big, it, it, it's hard to even like bring down to personally feel it. it, it, it it's, it's, it's such a massive number. And, and even more staggering is to know that across the, the, the globe, there are roughly 60 million babies aborted every year. A, a year. That's what's happening across the planet. 60 million since 1973 in America and 60 million babies a year are aborted. 
Now just think about that in America for a minute. That is 2,600 abortions per day in America. That is many in the time that we have already spent together today in this room. 2,600 a day. That is roughly the equivalent of a 9-11 every single day. Every single day, a 9-11 is happening in our country. In the state of New York, 33%, one out of three of every pregnancy that, that, that occurs in the state of New York ends in abortion. And, and there, there's really sad racial realities to, to this dynamic too that I don't have time to tease out, but it's, it's no accident that Planned Parenthood positions itself in certain places in our country. And if you just, as a statistic to help highlight some of the racial realities, there have been 17 million African-American babies aborted since 1973. That is 40% of the current African-American population, 40% of that population has been aborted. I mean, the, the loss of life, when, when I just read things like that, it's hard to even make that real. And, and as dangerous as it is to be a child inside the womb, it is even more dangerous to be a, a child with some sort of a detectable disability inside the room. If you're a child inside the womb and Down syndrome is, is detected, you have a 90% chance of being killed inside the womb. I mean, it's like when I read things like this, it, 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 it makes me understand more of how Genesis 6 and a flood can happen in the Bible. I mean, it's just, it's staggering. It's, it's, it's almost unbearable to try to figure out what would that even feel like to embrace 90% of every, of every child, their children that, that have down, they, they just cease to exist. They just vanished. I mean, what does that look like to even feel that? And I want to work out just three things when we're thinking about this particular issue three things, three ways that we can engage in it, three things I think are helpful just to direct you to, to be thinking toward and, and doing, Th three quick things. And gosh, this could go on forever, but let me just give you three of them. Number one, I think the number one thing that we can do is to pray and to weep, to pray and to weep. This issue is so far beyond rational that it just reminds us that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, as Paul would say, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we're really doing. It, it, it is spiritual warfare in its most concrete sort of way that we would wrestle with it. And so I just, I think it's good to just invite everyone here this morning to pray for breakthrough in this area. And I think it's, I think culturally right now, it's even more important to remind us that we should pray. Like in the age of cultural or kind of the, the sort of activism that is, that is so our day and age. Everybody's an activist, right? And I want to just, a lot of that I would praise. But in the, the age of activism, I think we need to be reminded that our most meaningful work will always be our prayer work. That will always be our most meaningful work. So, so let's pray for, for the abortion industry to be toppled. Let's pray for laws to protect unborn children, for babies in the womb, like right now that Jesus would protect them. Let's pray for, for pregnant ladies, that, that right now for the millions of ladies who are, are pregnant right now and they're contemplating an abortion. Let's pray that Jesus would intervene, that right now God would be whispering in their ear that that is a little image bearer in their womb. That, that is a life worth protecting. Let's ask God to do those sort of things. And if you're in the room and you're pregnant and you're thinking about that, I just want you to know that you find yourself inside of a church who will not heap shame on you because of the circumstances of your, of your pregnancy, but, but will celebrate with you the life that is in you and will do whatever it looks like, whatever we have to, to make sure you and that little life in you flourishes. That you're, you're inside of a group of people like that. We want to do everything we can to say no to abortion and yes to the flourishing of your life and, and that little life in you. So, so let's pray and plead with God. Let's, let's weep over it. I, I just want to invite you. You, you should do, a if it's been a while since you have done some reading on abortion, I want to invite you to do that. You can go to abort73.com. You can go to desiringgod.com and find all sorts of good resources on it. I just want to invite you to, to like do some work in that area, 
to, to think through some of these things. So, so let's pray and weep. Secondly, let's act. L let's act. Th there is so much you could do that, that I want to give you um, ample room to just work with God to figure that out. But I want to mention one thing that you can do and one helpful tool that the Lord has given us to, to work through. One of the most significant things you can do is to act by volunteering in crisis pregnancy centers, in pregnancy centers. They're all over the country, right? We, we have our county, First Look, and they are just on the front lines for fighting for life inside the womb. So, so you have a wonderful opportunity to act in that sort of a way, to, to act. Uh, let me uh, give you a quote from Karen Pryor. She is talking about uh, pregnancy centers, and, and here's what she says about them. These centers are the quiet, sustaining oases in the desert of America's abortion landscape. Most pregnancy centers now offer a range of services to pregnant and parenting women and men that usually include ultrasounds, parenting classes, clothing and furniture, healthcare, adoption services, and post-abortion counseling. Their services are so expansive, she says, that pregnancy centers provide a way for every pro-life Christian and every local congregation to help in concrete ways, answering uh, phone calls, uh, raising funds, donating items, count, uh, counseling clients, referring pregnant women in crisis. Just all of those ways are like open and available for, for you as a person to be able to jump into this issue and to do something about it. Uh, first look, I just mentioned them, is, the, is uh, in our county, um, a pregnancy center. They're located in Waxahachie. This uh, card underneath your seat, I just want you to look at that again, are just some of the many ways that, that you can get, jump in, you know, in and be involved in that. But I just want to encourage you toward that. If, just ask the Lord, is this, is this one of the ways that you would have me be involved? They are producing good fruit. Last year, 2018, 142 ladies walked in leaning toward abortion and walked out saying no to abortion and yes to life. Th that's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> 23 walked in not knowing Jesus and leaning toward abortion and came out knowing Jesus. Th that's, that's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, that, that's something that is worth jumping into and being involved in. So I just want to encourage you to act. We, we invited First Look to come today. They've got a, uh, a table set up right over here in our foyer. Uh, just kind of as you're going down to the kids' men area, you'll see it right there on the right. And I just want to encourage you to stop by. You can get information there. You can chat with them about ways that you can serve, ways that you can be involved. But that is a really great way to act. I've talked to so many of our church family who have been involved in that. And it has been a painful thing, but such a, a, an incredible blessing from the Lord to be involved in. So, so act, pray and weep and then act. And thirdly, I want to encourage you to remember, to remember. Exodus is one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible, primarily because it tells the entire kind of story of the Bible through the story of Exodus. It, it puts the, the biblical message in story form. And when you read the book of Exodus, we are the people of Israel, right? That, that's who we are in, in the story. We are oppressed, we are enslaved, we're under the, the rule of Pharaoh and terrorized by his taskmasters. That this is the picture when we come out of the room, that we are under the tyranny of Satan, sin and death, right? And, and the people of Israel show us the only thing we can do, if we wanna be rescued from the oppression and misery that we come out of the womb under, they, they show us what to do. They, they, they cry out to God. And Exodus 2 says that God heard their cry. He remembered his covenant. He saw, and it says that God knew. And in chapter 3, God then responds. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I have come down to deliver them, these oppressed people, my people, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the, to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, this is what I have done. This is what I'm doing. Right? And when you read forward in the story of Exodus, you're reading every Christian's story that, that God did come down in the person of Jesus to, to rescue us and deliver us. He lived for us. He died for us. On the third day, he burst out of the grave for us to open up to us an incredibly bright future. 
right? And as we remember our story, that we were vulnerable and God came to us in our vulnerability, we are moved to become much more like Moses. Moses could have stayed in his plush life, right, as a prince of, of Egypt. He could have stayed out in Midian with his relatively safe life with his family. But, but, he, but he let go of all that. He risked all of that to come back into this story, to, to embrace the risk of helping the vulnerable people around him. Right? So, so he, he's imaging Jesus in that way and he's providing for us an example of what God would want from us as we remember our story of vulnerability and our rescue from it, that, that we would then be the hands and feet out there, rescuing, that delivering, doing whatever we can to bear burdens and to make the problems of others our problems. And lastly, I wanna end with this, the rewards that God gives. And I just wanna read through the last section of Isaiah 58 with you. I'm not even gonna comment on it. I just wanna, I wanna read through it. I wanna invite you to see the promises that God makes to people who will start making other people's problems their problems. That the people who will go out into the world loving their neighbor at great cost to themselves. Here's, here, here are the promises that, that God gives. And these promises taken collectively portray the life that we are all longing for. Here's what he says. Then, you start, you start moving out into the world like this, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call on the Lord and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. For all those who are moving out into the world like this, you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You, that those who are moving out into the world like this, making the problems of the vulnerable their own, you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. God, may it be. Will you pray with me? God, we as your people are saying, we, we wanna be that. God, help us. God, we would love to be known here as the repairer of the breach. When, when walls are torn down, we're the people who rebuild them. When the streets are torn asunder, we're the people who, who come and help. God, we wanna be people who are embracing the needs of the vulnerable around us. As painful as it is making their problems ours. And God, we wanna be people who are trusting that, that you will come through in what you promise. That, that when we do that, that that will lead on the other side of that to, to light breaking forth like the dawn. That, that our gloom and our joylessness will become as noonday. God, that we will be like a watered garden. I mean, this is the paradox. God, help us believe that as we are pouring ourselves out, that it will actually lead to fullness of life. God, help us believe that. So there where you are, I just want to give you a minute to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. And today... If this aroused great pain in your life, the prayer room is wide open for you. We're gonna have people at the prayer tables who will be there for you today to minister to you, to give grace to you, to remind you of the grace of God. If you're here today and you've never taken that decisive step toward Jesus, this is the day where you, in your vulnerable position, subject to the wrath of God and an, an eternal ruin can be rescued by God. You, you hold up your life and you give your life to Jesus, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God stands so ready to do that. 
And for everyone else in the room, what a great day to, to wrestle through, how can I make the problems of vulnerable people my problem? God, give us clarity, help us, help us, God. And it's in your good name that we ask that, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.